Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get started with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we always like to just quiet our hearts just for a moment of a pause to recognize a couple amazing things that you said where two or three gather in my name, I'm there. So that's an amazing thing. And we acknowledge your presence among us. And Father, you also said that no scripture had its origin in man, but that the spirit living inside of holy men of old um, dictated and gave utterance to these words. These words are God-breathed, and we acknowledge them as such and bow before them. As you speak to our hearts, we seek to do your will. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Sometimes it takes a harrowing, very dark, distressful experience uh, to get us to have an uh, aha moment, you know, Sometimes we call that aha moment an epiphany, right? And it's just amazing that they usually come to us when uh, through the backdrop of dark storm clouds and where that ray of light just comes through that one solitary, hopeful ray of sunshine is so much easier to see when you are in the midst of a storm. And maybe that's why so many people say things like um, the cover of a magazine in the checkout aisle. I saw a couple days ago while I'm thinking about all of this. And somebody said her brain surgery, a popular young actress uh, had a serious problem. She had brain surgery and she said it was a gift because it brought clarity that changed her life. She had an aha moment. Let's hope that that clarity had something to do with Christ. But be that as it may, Christians can always say that through the tough times in the pressure cooker, it's a time when God chooses to reveal himself to us in, in new and fresh and deep and profound ways, which we never realized before we were in the stressed out time. And so it's something very redemptive, something very beautiful about our storms that we encounter. Of course, it's beautiful and wonderful when we're looking back, having learned it. And if only we can remember, wow, I'm in that time when God, if I'm listening, can say or show me something about himself, an epiphany about who Christ is, Wow, that's exactly what's going to happen in today's passage this morning. God is going to reveal himself in a self-revelation to not only the disciples, because he knows this is going into scripture. He's going to reveal himself to the world. And if you've ever heard anybody say, where in the Bible does it ever show that Jesus is God? Well, I hope you're here today. Because this was going to smack us right upside of the head, and you just can't get out of it by the things he does and the things he says will unlock to you an aha moment. Wow, this is the God-man we're dealing with, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so this famous incident heads up in Mark chapter 6. It's the last incident in the very long chapter. Uh, It involves Jesus his disciples in a very unpleasant encounter the second time on the Sea of Galilee. And that inclement weather and the distress it brings leads them to an epiphany, a great, great aha moment. 
So the first time they were on the boat and there was a storm, Jesus was right there. They didn't perceive him very helpful because he was sleeping, uh, but, but at least he was in the boat, right? Now, this second time, he's not in the boat, and they're in trouble. He gets in the boat, and that's part of the story is why it's so fascinating, because by the end of the passage, he who was not in the boat is in the boat. Let's take a look at what I'm talking about. Immediately, context is there, the fish and the loaves of bread are feeding up to about 20,000 people from five little barley buns and two little dried sardines. Jesus is doing a miracle. And so they've worked all day. And immediately now, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to across the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. A lot of these things are building up to great significance, so you need to pay attention. He goes up to a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake. And he was alone on land. They're separated. Verse 48. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night between 3 and 6 a.m., he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. This odd phrase is a clue that will unlock the meaning of the entire passage. Not a lot of people, a lot of Christians know what that means. I wonder if you know, or if you've just kind of scratched your head, like why would he go to help them, but like fake like he's passing by? Oh, it's a good reason. <laughs> so we'll get back to that. That's called a teaser. 49. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cry out because they all saw him and they're terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. You've good cheer. Take heart. It's me. It's me. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. See, they just came out of just this miracle, but uh, they fell completely apart because they just forgot about what had happened. And so that's the uh, scripture that we're going to reflect on uh, this morning. It's part one. There is a part two coming, just so you know about that, but like what, what we like to do is just kind of walk through the passage, kind of glean out any practical insights that might be helpful to us. And let me just tell you ahead of time, whoa, there's so much here uh, for us to take to heart. There are li there's life-changing stuff here. Let the Holy Spirit do his work and give us all an aha moment. Now, remember, miracles that Jesus do, he never does them just to do a miracle for the sake of doing a miracle. Miracles are God's vehicle of teaching. He's teaching layer upon layer of who Christ is, who we are, how we need him, how we access him, the picture of what faith is, and really, this one, who he really is. Because once you figure out who Jesus is, man, uh, uh, that's the game changer, right? And so here we have uh, the story, and, and, and definitely two things are apparent, two things going on here, and you can't tear them apart, and they serve as kind of half and half the story, okay? Uh, first, there's a rescue story, and then there's an epiphany, and those two things, you cannot take them, take them apart from each other. And uh, we're going to see uh, first to the rescue. It begins harmlessly enough, the need for a rescue here. 
let's isolate just a couple verses. We'll walk through it, all right? And so, note takers, if you need to write something down, I would write there's immediacy on the shores, immediacy on the shore. So it's time for a quick getaway, all right? And you can tell by the language something's up because Jesus is hustling them, forcing them in the Greek, forcing them to the boat, in the boat, in the boat, now. No, 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 don't get that. No, no, I want you in the boat now. And off, and, and Jesus like helping them get away. And he himself, he dismisses the crowd with only his authority. There's like 20,000 people around there. And they want the bread, right? Maybe a little bit more. And he dismisses them. He has that authority, has that sway, has that power. And then he retreats. So he's safe and sound. What's up with that? Well, here's what it is. The crowds are misunderstanding his mission. And John fills you in why he had to force them to hightail it out of there. John, after the people saw the sign, the fish and the loaves, Jesus performed, they began to say, sure, say, surely this is the prophet. For lack of a better term, they're coming around to the Messiah who's to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king, that's the Messiah's job, by force, withdrew again up the mountain. And so the disciples are sent off. Get out, get out. He hears the rumbling. You can go back to the verse. Thank you. He hears the rumbling. He knows what's up. The, the, the crowds are, are, are missing it. They're missing it. Listen, the crowds are ready for a revolution, a rebellion. They're revolting. They want to install king. We install a king who can do the things that Jesus is doing, how cool would that be to have a king who could just call bread down from heaven and always feed us and heal our bodies and solve our problems with the Romans? The Romans, the Old Testament said, hey, listen, in the end days when Messiah comes, he will free Israel, he will exalt Israel, and in the kingdom that comes, Israel will be a superpower. They wanted that to happen now, today, they wanted all the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the New Testament to happen before even the cross. And that was impossible. They wanted to get rid of Herod and, and the Romans and all of that. And, you know, to have a, a permanent meal ticket, you know. So Jesus knew that the, mob, the, the crowd could become a mob in a matter of moments. He says, quick, in the boat, get out of here. Here they come, and he goes to higher ground to escape them to spend time with the Father. One amazing quote, put it this way for application for us. He says, the crowds misunderstood Jesus' whole purpose. Do you? Do we? Jesus appeared to lay down his life, pay for sins, restore us to God, and give us a new life. But somehow they only had the temporal in mind, not the eternal, not the relationship with God, not lordship, not moral transformation. All they were interested in was what Jesus could do for them in the here and now and nothing more. They didn't want to serve him as king. They wanted their king to serve them. And that's why Jesus sent his disciples away, and he himself headed for the hills. He kept telling them, oh, so what are you coming to me and saying, make the bread, make the bread, make the bread again? He said, I'm the bread. You need to be spending your energies for eternal things, not for food that comes and goes. And he says, you know, I, you know they're using him. The question is, are you using them? Am I using them? Or is he using you? It should be the other way around. One writer said, a self-serving attitude with Jesus most certainly will result in the same thing, a withdrawal of grace and God's favor when it's all about you. Listen, he's got stuff that you and me need. And he's the only way we're going to get that stuff. 
But it's not about the stuff. It's not about the person you want to marry. It's not about the job you want to get. It's not about, you know, constantly asking him to do what you want him to do. And that's why Jesus said, I'm out of here because this is upside down and backwards. That's not why I came at all. And so how do you feel when somebody calls who you love and you're like haven't heard from in a while and you're like, oh, they really do love me, you know? And then the conversation goes and goes and goes and then finally they get to what they want, right? And then you're reminded, you're like, oh man, your heart just sinks because they're just interested in what they can get from me. God is a person. You're a person. A person made a person. We're made in the image of a person. He's a person. He has feelings. And he says, what do you want? You want the stuff? You always want the stuff. Well, there's a lot of TV preachers who teach you. Go to God for the stuff. He's here to exist. You know, what do you need? A bigger house? Believe him for it. Come on, a bigger car, a nicer husband. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> that was the wrong, yeah. I just don't know. My mind was going at a, at a yeah, no. Well, yeah, they would include that. Throw that in there because God wants you to be happy. Because that's God's job. No, he wants you to be holy and a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory, but has very little to do with what's happening, because that's where the word happy comes from. You happen to be fortunate right now. That's not a Bible word. And so I digress. Let me move on to from the immediacy of the shore to urgency on the sea. This is a fun part, right? And so you see that on the screen. Definitely don't miss 47, verse 47, because he's bringing a point across. He's saying, they're out in the middle of the sea. Jesus is standing on the shore alone, all right? Whenever in the New Testament you find Jesus with some distance between him and the disciples, always trouble, always trouble. So verse 47 is there for a reason out on the lake now in the middle. John gives us the mileage. He says 20 to 30 furlongs. One furlong is 60 feet, so we've figured it out. It's three and a half miles, which is the middle because it's eight miles wide or so at different spots, kind of varies. But So what comes up against them is something called, from an Arabic word, the Middle Easterners call it the shark. The shark just comes in and tears you to pieces. It's an easterly wind that comes out of nowhere, and uh, they were terrorized. They were straining at the oars, going nowhere. But in case you think it's not as serious as it is, let me tell you, the word for the wind there is a special word. Jesus used it in his sermon illustration about the guy who hears Jesus' words but doesn't put them into practice. He's like the fool who knows a lot but doesn't use it, and he builds his house, his life on the sand instead of on a rock foundation. And Jesus goes on to say, oh, boy, that house is in trouble. That life is in trouble because you build that house, the rains come, and the wind beats against that house and causes a mighty, terrible crash. And the crash of that house, he repeats it, was great and mighty. That's the wind that came against the house and came against the boat and the guys. Interesting word for straining at the oars in the midst of this storm. In the Greek, basadnizo, it sounds Italian, but it's actually Greek. Um, it, it means to torture or to harass or to inflict pain upon, and it's always associated with the devil or demons or evil. Ah, okay, so now they're straining at the oars because there's a force that's whipped up something hostile to come in front of Jesus' disciples who are following his instructions to just kind of do what the Lord is telling me to do, and yet there's something in the front saying, 
terrorizing you, hindering you, tormenting you, stopping you. No surprise to me that that word has some tie to evil. The Bible tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He says, the humans and the outside of the problem, you think that's the problem. Oh, it's the wind behind it that's coming from forces unseen in the heavenly realms, powers of darkness. That's the Bible. That's not an, an exaggerating preacher. That's a, check it out, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, and you'll find out what I'm talking about. Now, don't miss this line here in verse 48. Oh, don't just go by it without going, whoa. It says, he saw the disciples straining up the oars. What? You're four miles away. It's in the middle of the night. There's a storm. That means cloud cover. All right? Four miles away. He sees them in trouble. And what is he saying? Come on. I'm the son of God. I've got better vision than the average guy. You, you know, he, he's got bionic eyes. And way beyond that, he knows the number of the hair follicles on their heads on the boat because nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. Well, we always, and this is why it's in here, we are always saying, you know, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God, which the Lord says, why do you always say in Isaiah chapter 40, he says, why are you people, my people always saying uh, my, my way is hidden from the Lord, meaning God doesn't know my address anymore. He forgot all about me. Why are you saying that? He says, haven't you heard? I've got pretty good vision. I lock onto those people I love. I know what's going on. Jesus told some people, he said, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without God knowing all about it. And he says, how much more valuable are you if he's all like, whoa, there goes another sparrow. Doesn't he know? And if he knows what's going on with your hair follicles, which isn't really significant. <laughs> oh, you laugh now. Wait till you see me in heaven. I have way better hair than all of you. <laughs> Got three people from the barbershop right there applauding for whatever reason. All right, that's nice. Yes, so believe it or not, I've lost my train of thought. I don't know how that could ever possibly happen. Oh, right. So, yes, he sees you. He knows you. That's the point of this. Hagar, in the middle of some wilderness, the only thing close to her in 100 miles is a scorpion and a tumbleweed. She's dying there. She's out there with Ishmael. Thinking God, God abandoned her and the Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate form. Whenever you see an appearance of God in the Old Testament with a body, that, my friend, is your Jesus. Because Jesus existed with God from the beginning. And he shows up before he shows up through a womb. And he says to Hagar, Hagar, listen, you're not going to die. Your son's not going to die. I've got some plans. Be encouraged. And she says, wow, now the one who sees me, I have seen. And names him El Roi, meaning the God who sees me. And that name stuck around. Just remember, that's his title. I like in the Psalms, he says, people, I made the ear. Do you think I don't hear your prayers? I design the ear. The designer of the eyeball is me, and I see. I'm pretty good at seeing things, since I'm the one who invented seeing, you know? So he says, just stop thinking that I can't see. The, the whole meaning here is he sees his loved ones straining at the oars. When we're distressed and harassed and panicked, and nothing can stop him from getting to us. That is one of the takeaways here. So we move on here. 
uh, 248B. The fourth night of the, wa- of the fourth night, fourth watch of the night, he, here he comes, and he's about to pass by them. Mm-hmm. And they freak out. Here's what's funny to me. So, note takers, we've gone from urgency at sea now to uh, terror on the boat. Terror on the boat. Now, it's not that they're terrified because they're drowning. They're terrified because they're being rescued. (laughs) And in a most non-traditional way, uh, it gives them cause for alarm. They did not expect to see somebody coming up. Hey, guys, need some help? They just didn't see it coming. So here he comes. Help has arrived. Not exactly as they expected. He's walking. The son of God who created the sea is walking on it. To us, 2,000 years, we're, we're like, yeah, you made the sea. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Christ created all things. The earth, the universe, Christ, that, that man, born of a virgin, wow, but conceived of the Holy Spirit. That's why you can walk on the water. And so imagine they're surprised. You know, they're rowing and they're, they're pulling cords and they're screaming at each other. And one of them thinks, oh, I saw something in the corner of my eye. Like, whoa, dark. Well, what's that? First question was, what's that? The second question's going to be, oh, wait, I, I saw a hand. Who's that? So now they don't recognize him and they realize, there, there's a guy <laughs> On the water. <laughs> Sorry, that's my scary voice. That's all I am. <laughs> that's my scary voice. So uh, they think, first of all, it's a ghost, right? So humans can walk, can't walk on water, but a weightless ghost could, right? But ghosts tend to frighten people, not reassure them. So that's the problem. Uh, Now, the word for ghost, it's not the usual word. In fact, it's a rare word, and it's only used once in the entire Bible, and you're looking at it. It's a word that means kind of a disembodied apparition. Now, I don't know what that means, but I don't want to see one. Do you? All right. It's kind of this manifestation of this being, and uh, they're not happy about their revelation. And so they cry out in terror immediately, the reassuring voice. It's me. Jesus didn't speak King James. He said, it's me. He didn't say, it is I. (laughs) He, he, He said, actually... In, in the, it is I. No, 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 no. It's me, right? But in the Greek, oh, it's pretty good. I'll tell you about it with the passing by. All right, because it's related. All right, so he says it's me. He says, listen, the rescue, there it is. It should bring an epiphany, a small one to them. I can see you. I've been praying for you. I knew you were in distress, and I'm here, and nothing can stop me from getting to you. Ain't no mountain high enough. (laughs) Ain't no Sea of Galilee wide enough to keep me from getting to you, babe. To keep me from getting to you, Amy. To keep me from getting to you, Jim. To keep me from getting to you, Dylan. To keep me from getting to you, and you're all avoiding me. (laughs) Fill in the blank, guys. He's the interceder. He's up on the mountain. What do you think he's doing up there? He's praying. It said he's praying. Who's he praying for? His people in trouble. He's praying for you right now. It says he ever lives to make intercession for who? For you. He sees you. He knows what you're going through better than you do. 
and nothing in all creation is going to stop him from getting to you to help you, to comfort you, to, to instruct you, to guide you. So the rescue, it reveals really what God came to do. He came to save us from scary dark places and constant opposing winds that stress us out and harass us and hinder us and threaten to take us down. And he comes aboard. Willing parties, the only thing that can stop God from this heroic rescue of whatever it is you're ever in is you. You gotta cooperate with him. He says, hey, it's me. Well, get in here. Come on, right? I did a service yesterday. I talked to somebody. He made the mistake of making a comment to me, (laughs) which engaged me in a conversation. I had just preached the gospel. And he said, well, you kept your promise to your friend. And I said, yeah. And did you hear and understand? And he said, yeah. And I said, so are you saved? And he said, no. And I said, how old are you? And he said, 72. And I said, you're already past the average life expectancy and you're on borrowed time. And he got tears in his eyes, which he already had. And he said, I know that. I said, it's just, 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 you know, there goes the timer, (laughs) the cell phone. Dude, you're, you're, you're going to wake up. You're going to have a stroke. You're going to have a heart attack. Or you're not going to look left when you should have looked right. Or whatever. <laughs> it's going to happen. And he said, yeah, I know. I said, where's your sticking point? Let me help you right here. Standing right there. Just give me the sticking point. I'll help you. And he, and he goes, no, I get it. I get it. I don't know what it is. I just, Dude, that's the devil on one side, and it's your own sinful heart that doesn't want to give up after all these years. It's just pride. But are you going to let pride, I'm quoting right here, and it was yesterday. Are you going to let pride keep you out of heaven forever and perish? The Bible says you will perish, and there's nothing forever to do to fix that problem. Come on. Let me just lead you in a prayer. Just tell me, what's your theological problem? What, what is it? And he goes, I don't really have one, and I'm not really sure, but I'm not ready. And I said, dude, you will never be ready. I was on him like ugly on a toad. <laughs> I said, dude, you're not going to church. You're not a churchgoer, right? So when's the next time some preacher's in your face saying, hey, do you know Jesus? Let me lead you in a prayer. It's not going to happen. The next event could be yours. And he said, I put my hand on it, and there was a pause, and it looked, it was like, so a quick prayer, a little quick prayer. And he said, not today. I know. I went home, and I was like telling Barb the whole story, and she did the same thing you did. Listen, let him in the boat. Amen? You're messing around, flying on the freeway at 70, 80 miles an hour. Anything could happen. And you don't have a savior? That's not good. So the rescue happens. He saves us. That's what he does. Now, some of you may be thinking, something's missing. Is it that there's, there's something missing about this? What's, well, you can go, yeah, no, that's good. Something's missing what happened. There's something that the Gospel of Mark leaves out that happens between verse 50 and verse 51. So something wonderful, amazing happens between Jesus saying, it's me, don't be afraid, and him getting in the boat. Something happens. A man goes overboard on purpose. (laughs) Let's read about it. Matthew, the fuller version. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage. It's I, it's me. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter, (laughs) pipes up, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walks on the water, and comes toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. 
and begin, began to sing, crying out, Lord, save me. Immediately, verse 31, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have small faith. Jesus said, why'd you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Ah, here we get epiphany, lightning strike, pam. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. And they mean that as the divine. You are the God man. They're getting there. And so the best epiphany now uh, saved for last. And now we're in the concluding point of the revelation. We'll keep that up there for you for a minute. The full unabridged version, thanks to Matthew. Why not Mark? Come on, you know you're asking that, Andrew, are you? You were. Thank you for nodding your head in the affirmative. <laughs> um, I'll tell you why. Who's, who's Mark's source, if you'll remember this? Mark is not a disciple. He grew up in the upper room. He's got a lot of connections. He's seen a lot of stuff that he's telling you about, but he needs eyewitnesses, and he has gone to a certain disciple who the whole gospel is flavored with him. And that disciple we see palling around with Mark in the book of Acts and in 1 Peter. Peter says, greet John Mark, is his full name. Greet Mark, my son in the faith. His, Peter was a father to Mark who is writing. So the source, and it's called, scholars call it the Petrine gospel. It's a fancy word for Peter describing the gospel. The gospel's all flavored with content and style. It's Peter talking to Mark, and he doesn't tell him the story. Why? Well, because Peter's be actually grown and become humble. And take a look at what he writes. He says, listen to me. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. Peter, talking now, a lot older, he's got gray hair, toward one another because God opposes the proud like I used to be, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, right? And then the, the wisdom and the character. Let another praise you and tell something impressive about you and not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. So back to that portion. Here's how it would have gone or could have gone. Listen, Mark, um, imagine you're in the middle of a storm-tossed sea. It's dark. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. We're in danger of drowning. The waves are crashing over, and here comes the water. We're thinking, oh, no. And then hero time, the son of God walking on the water, and the hero saves the day, and he says, it is I, don't be afraid. And then, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, <laughs> I stand up and I say, Lord, if that's really you, call me to come to you and I will come to you. And he says, come. And then I got out of the boat and there I was on the very waters that I swam in as a child. I was walking and I was, yeah, yeah. Okay, do you get it? You get why he had the wisdom and the grace to say, if God wants to use a story to glorify himself, that included me, then I'll leave that to God. There were others on the boat, and I happen to know that Matthew is an accountant, and he's been taking some pretty good notes. And if God wants to use Matthew to tell the story, then that's the Holy Spirit's business, but it's not going to come out of my mouth. And that's why you do not see it in Mark. But the Holy Spirit said, you know, <laughs> I want the world to see because there are some lessons in it and they're not all positive, <laughs> right? <laughs> so what's gone on inside of Peter's head to get him to stand up and do that? Well, I don't know <laughs> because um, nobody knows. You can ask him when you see him, you know? And he'll probably say, you know, honestly, I'm not really sure myself. I mean, we were kind of turned upside down. I'll tell you what it was. Absolute terror, and then 
hearing that voice and knowing if I'm near him, I'm okay. So isn't it as simple as that? And then one thing led to another. Well, how do I get to him? I, I want to jump. I can't jump that far. So, you know, so then he says, you know, listen, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. He's a, a psalmist says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my salvation, uh, in whom I take refuge. I call on the name of the Lord and I am rescued. That's what's going through his mind. So he says, look, this is what faith does. This is faith in action, people. Faith says, if you command me, then I could do it. He doesn't say, hey, just tell me. He says, command me as God in a body. Son of God, you give the command. Who could resist your command? Whatever God says and wants and desires, and it's his will, and he commands, then it will come to pass. And so Jesus has come. Now, this is a beautiful lesson for you and me because God has called you and he commands you. And whatever is in the scriptures, love your wife as Christ loved the church. You know how hard that is? That means give yourself up for her. But it's, he's called and he's commanded you. And now it's time to walk on the water because natural laws of hum, human heart doesn't do those kinds of walks, right? Wives, submit to your husband. He's, <laughs> he's calling you not to submit to your husband because your husband's worthy of submitting to, but because submit yourself as unto the Lord you submit yourself to. But, but, but he's called you. He's commanded you. You can do something you could never do apart from God's help. And that, my friend, is called walking on the water. Let me just say, the entire Christian life is a walk on the water based on us hearing and believing a command from God to love your enemies. That's, that's a walk that I can't walk on water. But he says, I'm asking you to forgive, to forget, to get over yourself to think about others, to pick up your cross, to say no to yourself, to abstain from sin, to submit yourself to God and say no to sexual immorality. But, 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 I'm calling you. Do you hear my call, my command? Have no anxiety about anything. These are calls and commands of God. The one who commands enables this is a big lesson. And faith knows it. But here's what he says. He says, well, we got a problem. He starts to sing. Why? And Jesus diagnoses and then asks a question, a rhetorical question. First, the diagnosis. He says, dude, you, you got small faith. What does small faith mean? Oh, here it is. Small faith loses its focus and changes its focus from the Savior to the problem, from, from worshiping God to the waves. And my friend, 100% guaranteed, I will promise you that you will have nothing but straining at the oars and fear and distress if you stare at the problem. But if you fix your gaze upon the Son of God and hear his call to follow him through it, you will walk on the water straight into the arms and fellowship of the living God. You just can't shift the focus. Listen, we had a horse. PJ wanted a horse. And so we lived in Sebastopol and we had property for a horse. And so we threw up a fence and we went down and got a horse. And I learned something about horses. <laughs> I learned a few things about horses, but I'm going to share the positive one. <laughs> they need to be bomb-proof. Bomb-proof is a nice quality. What does bomb-proof mean? It's a horse term for a horse that has been trained to go straight 
and to remain unspooked and undistracted from where that horse is going. So policemen need to have horses that are uh, bomb-proof because a siren can go off, a bomb could go off, a Harley, you know, right by, and the horse is like, just clicking away, you know, doesn't see, because they're trained, right? And so Jesus is saying, man, a full, consistent faith is a bomb-proof faith. That you got your eyes on Jesus and, and the wave over here and, and the distress and the torment over here is saying, you know, diagnosis or divorce or I don't love you anymore or some tragedy here. Yeah, we feel, we're supposed to feel, we grieve, we deal with things. We don't just kind of ignore things and nor are we supposed to be numb. But we don't lose our focus. And it's, I could tell you stories all through my ministry. The bomb goes off. They had faith to get out of the boat, start the journey, walk a walk, and they were doing pretty good. And then they start to sink. Why? Because they, they, they lost the focus to the bomb and to the tragedy and to the pieces all over the place. Not the answer. Not the answer. Stay focused and you won't sink. You look at the waves every single time. What I appreciate about Jesus is he, did you notice the order? He saves him and then he corrects him. He'll always do that. We fall forward. He knows how we are. He knows where we, but he catches us. And then he says, man, you got small faith. It needs to grow. You fixed your faith on me. No, none of this looking away kind of thing. And then he asks the rhetorical question, at which I love. He says, uh, why'd you doubt? Why'd you do that? It's rhetorical. It means there no, was absolutely no reason in the entire world, knowing what you've been through with me the last few years, knowing my faithfulness to you, the fish and the loaves of bread. Come on, Peter, there was no reason. I'm standing here. You're looking at me. You took a few steps. It worked. I'm standing here, I still haven't drowned. You know, there was no reason for the panic. No reason to put yourself under the water. Absolutely none. He says, why'd you do that? And he asks us all the time, what, what were you sabotaging this for? There is no reason you had to go down that road or react in that way or shift your focus from God-centered to problem-centered, to drama-centered. But I'll tell you what, there are a lot of people who are used to this. They grew up like this in chaos, and they kind of grown used to it. And this freaks them out. Whoa, where's the chaos? Where's the drama? And they'll start looking for drama, and they sabotage their own peace and their own grace, and they forfeit the grace that could be theirs by not letting them in the boat, by not fixing their faith on Jesus. They're more comfortable with a little drama. And he says, why? Why would you do that? You don't have to. Now, I promised you the big epiphany, right? I've got to settle that. Here's the big reveal. And it happens by two things that Jesus does and one thing that he says, and bam, lightning strikes. And I hope it strikes in your uh, hearts as well. These men are Jews. They're not seminarians, but they've been to Sabbath school. They know the Old Testament. And one thing they know is that the Old Testament is full of references of God walking on the water. Old Testament full of it. it. It's the way to describe the greatness of God in the Old Testament. So God alone has the power over the seas. And the seas are always a symbol of chaos and trouble. But God alone can tread upon the waves, as it says in the Old Testament. And sinking in the waters in the Old Testament is a, is a way to describe death. There. So Jesus is saying by walking on the water, Jesus is proving that he's divine. He's equal to God in every way. He has power over the chaos, the death, 
your helplessness. He has power, authority, equal of Yahweh, God the Father, because he treads alone on the waves. Now, uh, to the um, odd phrase, let me look at it with you. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. Here's what he does. He was about to pass them by. Why in the world would God, the son of God, who is on a rescue mission, act and make them obviously aware enough to record it? Boy, it seemed to us like he's going to pass us by. But then he doesn't. Oh, the phrase passing by, somebody passing by, an epiphany of God, a revelation of God passing by, the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when anybody was going to see a vision of God, God had to tell them, hey, listen, we have a problem. I'm holy. You've broken my laws. There's, there's estrangement here. And until that's fixed, you can't see my face and live. All right? So I'm going to have to pass by you, Moses. Let me show you the three times it appears in the Old Testament. Then Moses says, hey, I want to see you. Right? Show me your glory. I want to see you. And, and the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass by in front of you. And I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. You can't see my face, for no one really can see me and live to talk about it. Then the Lord says, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock where my glory passes by. I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand till I pass by. I mean, he's trying to make a point here. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And he passed by in front of Moses proclaiming, here I am. This is who I am. Now, he's on Mount Sinai where the law came down. So everybody knows the context is the reason you can't see me and we can't have fellowship is because the Ten Commandments were just given from that place where they're standing and we break them. So there's a problem. Same mountain, years later, the Lord says to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain, same mountain, the law, which we have broken. For the Lord is about to pass by. And Job nails it. Wow, look at this. Job says, God alone stretches out the heavens and God alone treads on the waves of the sea. He's maker of the stars, he goes on. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that can't be counted. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. The Old Testament, Yahweh, Yahweh, other pronunciation, Jehovah, Jehovah, is a God that cannot be known because of the sin problem. So Jesus says, I'm the son of God. I've got a body now. Oh, I'm passing by as the God of the Old Testament, passing by, whoa, I stop and I say, in the Greek it says, not it is I, but he says, don't be afraid, I am. That's what Yahweh means. When Moses was talking to the burning bush, and he says, God, who are you? Give me a name. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. He says, I am. The same I am that Jesus is now saying, since I'm in a body now, folks, and I'm going to use this body as a payment for all the sins of the world heaped on me, beaten, bloodied, mocked, spit upon, flogged, and crucified. Now, instead of passing by you, I, the great I am, and this is who I am, and why you don't have to be afraid, I'm here. Not passing you by, but coming to help you, not to judge you, and to strike fear and terror in your hearts, as the law did. 
He said, anybody cross a line? Yahweh speaking. On the mountain. Cross the line, die. One of your animals crosses the line, dead. No one comes near me because of the sin problem. Now he's going, passing by, passing by. No, I can stop now because you're going to have me tear the divide of the veil through the body of Christ that ends the separation and estrangement between God, a holy God, and sinful, messed up, rebellious people. End it. And with the death of Christ, the veil is lifted, and he says, come on in. Come on in. And then he's expecting them to say, come on in. And he gets in that boat. And whenever God gets in the boat, my friend, uh, the wind dies down. That's it. So I ask you, you straining at the oars, listen to me. <laughs> Don't be afraid, he says. I've been praying for you. I'm here. I've come to your rescue. I'm above the chaos. I see the struggle. I know the threat of drowning. I come to you to save you from death and the hostile powers because I am God. Listen, <laughs> oh you who strain. You got a God. He sees you. No need to be afraid. He's on your side. Let him in the boat, or I'm coming down there. <laughs> let him in the boat. And you say, oh, I let him in the boat a long time ago. Really? There's lots of boats <laughs> in life. Let him in this particular voyage, all right? And keep your gaze on him. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, easily said, but not easily done. Lord, just those sirens are so loud and uh, the waves are so scary, some of them. And, but God, you are greater, you're stronger. Uh, we just pray that you just lift our eyes to you. Help us keep them there, Lord. Remind us through the week of how we need to be bomb-proof and where you lead us. We could do the supernatural, what we could never do without you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. If I could, I would reach out and hug every single one of you and look into your face and say, it's going to be okay. You got Christ on board. You got no worries, man. He's got this. Stay close to him. Keep your gaze on him. And the wind will die down. And you'll get to your desired destination. I'm wondering if anybody here, you're like the guy I talked to yesterday. You know, you know the truth, but you know Jesus not in the boat. You're not a Christian. You're, you're kind of like on the outskirts looking in. You want to change that. It's very easy. It's a simple prayer. No one calls you out, but we'll just bow our heads, close our eyes, and why don't we do that right now? And Christians are already praying for you. <laughs> Bible says, if you call on the name of the Lord, confess your sins to him, he'll save you. He'll save you. So if you're uh, wanting to become a Christian today and know that if today's your day, that you've got a savior and that he paid for all your crimes, all your sins, and gave you eternal life, then slip your hand up nice and high. We'll say this in his prayer together. Anybody here want to be saved today? All right. Praise the Lord. Two, two. Nice. Anybody else now that you, somebody broke the water or ice, whatever, waves, ocean, it's on my mind. All right, here we go. Here's what you pray of sorts. Dear Heavenly Father, <laughs> Lord, save me. I'm in trouble. Death is going to come my way. And I am not ready because I am a sinner. I confess my sins. I believe in Jesus. 
that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Make me new. Put your spirit in my heart. Forgive all my sins. I belong to you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, that was not hard to receive eternal life. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.